0: do you remember the movie the quiet man with john wayne and maureen o'hara there's even a kind of fan club here in scranton named the quiet man society joseph bierman tells us in 1952 the quiet man was the top grossing film of john ford's career it was nominated for best picture supporting actor screenplay art direction set design and sound recording and went on to win oscars for direction and color cinematography. The film continues to enjoy broad popularity. It is a perennial favorite on American television around St. Patrick's Day and on Irish television at Christmas. The Irish Times, published in Dublin, proclaimed it to be the best Irish film ever made. That was in a reader's poll. Despite its popularity, from the time of its premiere through the end of the 20th century, The Quiet Man faced criticism. As the essence of emerald green romanticism, the film was derided as one of the plagues of March, right up there with green beer, plastic leprechauns, and Brendan Bean anecdotes. Like many Hollywood films set in Ireland, The Quiet Man was criticized for presenting a simplistic romantic image of a country as seen through the eyes of a nostalgic outsider, relying on romantic agrarian visions of Ireland and broad stereotypes of the Irish people. Faced with The Quiet Man's continued broad popularity over the past 50 years though, some scholars have begun to reevaluate the film. The aspects earlier described as stereotype have become comic excesses that articulate the sense of loss felt by Irish emigrants. Dismissing Ford's film as a romantic bit of émigré nostalgia is now viewed as missing the point, for the film contains contradictions and excesses that ask viewers to question the nostalgic picture postcard narrative that is placed before them. Bierman gives us an example of the complexity of the film. He writes, The first cue to an Irish viewer that the film will speak to issues of Irish-English politics, violence and censorship is the choice of Father Lonergan as the film's narrator. Immediately, this choice creates the expectation that the story will be told from an Irish point of view. When Father Lonergan first meets Sean Thornton, this point of view comes to the surface. Lonergan recounts the history of Sean's family and introduces the history of Irish-English political struggles into the film when he tells Sean, I knew your people. Your grandfather, He died in Australia in a penal colony, and your father, he was a good man too. Bad accident, that. For the Irish viewer, this moment may encourage the use of Irish-English political struggles as a context for the viewing experience. Father Lonergan tells us that he thought well of Sean's grandfather. Obviously, Lonergan did not view the man as a criminal. The mention of the English penal colony in Australia would cue the Irish viewer to interpret the grandfather's crime to be of a political nature. Likewise, the vague mention of the father's death in an accident seems to hint that there may be more to the story as well. Bierman suggests that the quiet man is multi-layered and that we can recognize the complexity when we experience the story through the eyes of the Irish viewers and their localized understanding of the dynamics in play. So, there is a playwright named Mary Jones, who gets that, and she creates a truly complex narrative that not only pokes fun at the picture postcard view of Ireland, but she does it by telling the story of the making of a movie with the oh-so-similar title, The Quiet Valley, directing our attention to The Quiet Man, of course, and How Green Is My Valley, too. And the intriguing thing about the play is that there are two characters who are extras in this movie, and they'll be playing all the other characters in the story. And they'll be bringing us that localized understanding that Bierman just pointed us to when it comes to encountering the ways we should perhaps be viewing the film, the film industry in general, and the cultural and political agendas of the entertainment we seek, especially in and through the observations and asides of these extras. The play is titled Stones in His Pockets, and it deals with the making of a film, as we suggest. We're about to have a conversation with two theater veterans about the making, well, that is, the bringing to the stage of the play, here in Scranton, where the residents know a thing or two about The Quiet Man, as we mentioned. As far as the producing goes, for example, the rights to the play weren't easily available so they had to exchange emails for four months back and forth to and from England to get the go-ahead to present it. And it all seems fitting for this particular piece that will be presented at the Old Brick Theatre in Scranton. John Pivovarnik discovered the play and he pitched the project to Art Walsh in the produce aisle of the supermarket, not far, no doubt, from the potatoes. The third leaf in the Team Shamrock group is Connor McGuigan. John and Connor act in the show, and art directs. Art and John paid a visit to the VIA studios, and John begins the tale.
1: You know, I'm old. I've reached the age where it takes a lot to get me off of my butt to learn lines and and mince about on the stage. So I'm always on the lookout for material, and I think it had started a while back. I had wanted to do The Lieutenant of Inishmore. I had wanted to direct it. Because it's it's a wonderful play, yes. and it involves having to mop up a lot of blood at the end of the evening. And I think... You um, gave that to me about five years I ago. I think I gave that to you, and I think I gave it to Connor. And I was like, I really want to do this. There's a strong part for a woman. It's Irish. Uh, it's fantastic. It's the IRA. There's bloodshed, but it's a dark comedy all these things that I love. But I couldn't get anybody who wanted to do the cleanup work every night. And I think in the back of that script, there was a mention of, if you like Irish plays, check out Stones in His Pockets. And I thought, well, all right, let's see what that's about. you know. And I read it. And so this one's about the town where they filmed The Quiet Man, which, you know, with The Quiet Man Society and all that. In town, I thought, okay, well, that's appealing. And then uh, another American movie comes to town to film... And the uh, same town. The same town. And the chaos that ensues. And after the debacle of the Sorvino movie in town and other things, I thought it might speak to the area. Um, and having done background work. Uh it certainly spoke to me when I read it because this is pretty much all that you do when you're working background on a movie is you just talk crap to each other about everything that's going on on the set and that's basically we were involved in Kickball which you never saw the light of day. Never saw the light. There are a lot of movies that shot in town that never saw the light of day. Yeah. So, it spoke to me.
0: And you knew that the person you wanted to play with then was Connor how how so?
1: Well, Connor and I have worked together for a lot of years on a lot of different shows. And Connor is about as insane as I am. We're both very flip, flippant, and we're very, I will say, quick-witted. That doesn't necessarily mean good-witted <laughs> or necessarily funny. They're not always good, but they're fast. And we're very pop culture. We can pull tons of useless information right. out of
2: our minds and stuff. So we're very on it and they they make uh being a director a thing where you don't want to sit down you have to be on your feet on your toes
0: to keep up with them
2: well the banter between them in and out of character so i thought the two of us could have a lot of fun with it plus it's 15
1: characters played by two people so and um, he's the beautiful woman and i'm a love i'm a i'm a very beautiful american starlet i'll have you know Uh did you
0: wrestle connor to the ground for that one (laughs) no because
2: he's a lovely irish girl at one point, we did think that one person could play the two female roles because I think there's one time where they're in, in a scene together, and I don't think they speak to each other. No, they don't. But it just seemed better because one is this perky Irish girl and the other is this, this glamorous movie star. And, and John is far more glamorous.
1: Than
2: <laughs> <it>. <laughs> and honestly, going
1: into it, one of the characters is, is Mickey, the last surviving extra from The Quiet Man. I wish he was here to say it. I wish he was here to I do it. it. Connor plays him, but I really, I had my mouth all set to play him, but Connor's perfect. And the guy, I have to say, for the for the, the geeks out there, the guy who played my part, Conleth Hill, played Charlie Conlon. He was the bald eunuch guy on Game of Thrones. For those who follow hmm. such things, that this is one of the shows that kind of launched him into notoriety, and he he played that for quite a while. He did it uh, in Ireland, in London, and he came to New York.
0: And then you two ran into each other at, at
1: the supermarket, in right. the produce aisle.
2: Yeah, I and, looked up and there was John. Hi, John, how are you? I said, I had this play I'd really like to do.
1: And I think it was because I had been emailing Every now and then I would check to see who was doing what, if anyone was doing... Because, you know, again, being old and I'm not particularly in the mood to do Neil Simon anytime soon. And I don't necessarily want to do You're a Good Man, Charlie. Not that there's anything wrong with any of those. They're all perfectly lovely. But I am old and I have had my opportunity to do them all multiple times. I don't need to do them again. Well, there was Jack McWiggin. Oh, and Jack McWiggin, Connor's father... Had offered to take a mortgage out on his house, pretty much, to bankroll a production independently and produce it himself, and just rent a space for the two of us to do it. That's how that's how badly he
2: wanted to see this done. So, so the genesis of this is from more than one Garden of Eden. It's it's grown up in in a couple of places. Again, i was just intrigued by the fact that one well, number one, it's an Irish play, and you live in a town where if you do it at the right time of year. You should be able to park bodies in the seats. And I'm half Irish, and he's half Irish, and then there's Connor McGuigan. And it was like little sparks went off in my head. Yeah, Connor McGuigan and John Pippa Varnick. Okay, Connor into this deal? I don't know, he's touring the world. Oh, yeah, he, was in, <laughs> he was in Spain at the time, um, but I
1: messaged him on, we play words with friends all the time. So I messaged him as he was kicking my butt in Words with Frenzy. It usually beats me by a couple hundred points a game. And I
2: said, are you still up for this? And he's like,
0: yeah, sure, I'll be back in a week. But are, you got the script and you said, wait a minute, when you tried to read it.
2: Oh, yeah, it, it's, it's very difficult. Possibly if I had not known it was two actors, it might have been a lot easier to read. But once you know that, as a director, you cannot read something without seeing it. And I was reading this, and I couldn't see it. I couldn't see the the same face being this person and then talking to itself as another person, and how on earth would you figure it all out? But knowing that it had a successful run on Broadway. And won an Olivier Award in Ireland. Right. It was successful in London. And I had two guys who I have strong belief in their abilities, and they really, really wanted to do it. And I had to believe when he said he wanted me to direct it that he wasn't just fishing for a director somewhere, were you? No. Okay. And uh, it just seemed like one of those theater world magic things that just comes together when it does.
0: And who is Marie Jones? Uh, it's
2: Marie. Play-
1: she's the playwright. She's from Dublin. She played Daniel day
2: Lewis's mother in My Left Foot. She has other film credits and I think two other uh, plays. A bunch of other plays, yeah. it's yeah. cockeyed humor. Definitely. When you have characters speaking to a visage that should be other extras in the movie and they're actually the audience is it's kind of fascinating because it's a a play that breaks the fourth wall without breaking the fourth wall it's out there but it's not it's not an aside to an audience so if the audience wants to feel like they're in it be my guest
1: it's as participatory as you want to be in it but without any you know without any of the actors marching up the center aisle or any of that
0: (laughs) Well, then a uh, theater like the old brick would be ideal for something like this. Right.
1: It's very, it's, an,
2: it's an intimate yeah. black box space. Yeah. And we've decided to do it. Because I, I initially had an idea. They talk about the... The Blasket the Islands. The Blasket Islands. And I had envisioned like painting one wall, you know, kind of a sea and a uh, thing like that. And then I said, no, let's black box it. Because first of all, the images that they create are, are fine. I mean, they, at one point I said, well, they go into a pub. Well, we'll set them in a corner where they're in a the pub, and and it's in a hotel room. And then I realized that it's atmospheric. It's not actual. It's written to the point where these actors can make you believe that you are in a pub or on a movie set. And it's written that way, and, and they do it that way. Because I'm sitting there. I have someone who's on book. And so I, I, I sit in the audience as if I'm an audience member some nights I, w- without... Doing any notes or anything, just he's lying. Well, I did do. I well, I did. He lie. takes notes. Yeah, I do take notes, but I I try to get the impression of what the audience is going to feel when they're doing it, and, and it really does transcend space to the point where they can establish other things. Like when once they establish or you put a hat on and that's who you are. Well, they don't have to wear the hat for the whole thing. I mean, there can be a scene where the hat isn't there, but you know who the character is, and they they develop physical characteristics that you can identify as the character and we do have some sound effects that help to identify some things but all in all they create the spaces and deliver the characters and I I don't think a a director could ask for more than that
0: well it also sounds like it is the ideal example of the power of the actor and the power of theater if you're working with a hat and you're talking to each other or yourselves Mm -hmm. And you're, really, you're creating everything. Yeah,
1: it really is. It's all it's all imagination on the part of the audience. It, you have to really suck them in in that first speech. The first one, the first speech has to suck them in because it's at the catering truck where it just is, it sets up. You're on a movie set. You're an extra. You're trying to get over. You're just meeting the other guy. You're setting
2: up, and it just lays the, the yeah. foundation in a page and a half. It's more than creating characters, it's creating atmosphere of where, where they are and what they're doing. They do physical things which are absolutely ridiculous but convey something very strong to the audience, and I'm really happy about that. They've taken a couple of flyers on me that like, I would, wow, huh, I didn't expect that. <laughs> the greatest thing any director can ask for is to direct a play where you don't have to even hint at what you want. And with everything they've brought me so far, I, I don't think I've once said, I, I, don't, I don't think I like that. And he certainly hasn't said, tone it down. Well, no, you did say that once. Yeah, I did once. But yeah, because it's it's a broad piece. And uh, I'm just thrilled the pieces that they, that they wanted me involved in this thing. And uh, of course, the story of the hunt for a place to do it. And we're happy the way it came out because the old brick, which is like 65 seats, it's very intimate.
0: Now, you mentioned hats, and that's a decision that you made to help us perhaps get used to thinking of you all as different people, yes. right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. you could have done other things. Well, we could
2: have. I just felt that the hats is a quick way to identify the characters. And the hat combined with the characterization it's really helped. And, I, of course, Connor has done some physical things. You know, his Mickey is like kind of bent over, old, old guy, and... He's very elegant as a beautiful American movie star. I'm very elegant. And Connor plays a couple of other young men. He plays one character as, a, as his current age and as a boy. And he even plays himself as a younger man. And um, I find it uh, fascinating that they were able to do that. And, and there's no hat involved here. You know, It's the idea of recreating yourself as someone else and for the audience to believe it. And rehearsals have been going beautifully. And so uh, yeah, the fluidity of the piece is, is with any other play. When the actors know the lines, you're all oh, I know are much better off. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah, I, I was complaining just the other day. It's it's a very
1: tight connection. It's if I am reaching for the line, either the voice goes away or the physicality goes away, like where am I supposed to be and what hat am I supposed to be messing around with or the voice Especially, there's like I'm a Scottish guy talking to an Irish guy, which you got to hear this, (laughs) which are two very different voices to try and do it. I'm not to sound like too pompous a butthead, but it it really involves having your mouth in two very different positions just to do the hootman kind of thing and the brr. I don't think we found exactly the key
2: to that thing that
1: no i still i'm still i'm still trying to find that but because i'm still trying to find the
2: lines and i
1: always have my script with me to get the words
2: for most part we have established a trick or something that happens at the very beginning that gets you into the new voice of the new character i mean the the movie star is relatively easy you throw the pretty hat on it there you are but <laughs> there's uh Another one that we were searching for, to find a voice for this one character. And one day, I just, John, you just have to do something. I don't know, it's not going to be an accent, because it's too many accents. And he just, one time, just lowered the register. Boom, there was the character. The American director.
0: So it, it isn't always from the inside out, like you're channeling your inner director. You don't have time
2: to channel
1: anything. <laughs> no, sometimes it's it's, it's just, just a question of, of finding the the voice that, that goes with the words.
0: What's the situation? Help us understand when you'd be talking to yourself.
1: Well, there's a there's a, a situation that arises that disrupts filming. So you have the director having to talk to the starlet, to the first mm-hmm. AD, to the second AD, to the extras. He plays the
2: director, the first AD, and an extra. And at one point, there all, all three of them are talking, also to the third AD and yeah. other extras.
0: Okay, so that's a case where you are... Talking
2: to yourself and others. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you knitted this into a quilt, nobody would buy it. <laughs>
0: now, you talked about a flow, and we often think of the Irish in writing in some cases, not necessarily that there's any music involved, literally, but that there's a certain musicality.
2: We, we, uh, that was like the second rehearsal where I talked about this thing is it's lyrical, you know, and so uh, there's there is an inner rhythm in the piece itself, and... I've never been to Ireland, but Connor has several times. And there is a rhythm to being in Ireland. My father was born in a small town in Pennsylvania, in Archbald, And he went to New York when he was 16. My father, when he died at the age of 62, had a brogue. <laughs> you could cut it with a knife. He worked in the subway in New York. And they used to just break for lunch, and they'd sit down on the tracks and eat. And a, a new hire was, was from Ireland. And they're sitting and talking, and, he, and my father said, he said to him, And uh, what county are you from? My father said, well, I'm from Nakawana County. And the guy said, I've only been here for three months, and they've got a new county over there? (laughs) But that's a true story. There's a rhythm to being Irish that's different than almost anything else.
0: But you feel it, John.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, Back when I lived in California, I used to work with Alice Carmel Kelleher. Don't you know? She was from County Meath. And um, so she had a grand accent. She did. And I was working with her, and, you know, I was out there trying to be an actor and all that. And we would be sitting there talking, working, and she'd be like, Oh, I'm dying for a fag which is cigarette slang. And, of course, but every head would turn. Every gay man would be like, What? 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 <laughs> um, and I'd be like, You're dying for what now? And she's like, oh, Are you mocking me? I said, Sure, and I'm not. What are you talking about? Because I would just pick up her accent.
2: But to get back to Stones in His Pockets, I, I really believe that audiences are going to love this. And I, I wish we could do a QA and a after every performance because... Well, that would be fun. People are going to have questions about it because it's very unusual, very difficult to do, very funny, heartwarming. And there are dramatic scenes that will there are. touch
0: people's hearts. Director Art Walsh and actor John Pivovarnek, who, with actor Connor McGuigan, will present Stones in His Pockets by Mary Jones at the Old Brick Theatre, 126 West Market Street in Scranton, Fridays and Saturdays at 8 p.m., Sundays at 2. For reservations, area code 570-209-7766, 209-7766. You can find them on Facebook at Diva-Theatre, T-H-E-A-T-E-R, on Facebook at Diva-Theatre. That Stones in His Pockets by Mary Jones, an award-winning play. And that will be presented at the Old Brick Theatre, 126 West Market Street in Scranton, from March 18th through the 27th, Fridays and Saturdays at 8 p.m., Sundays at 2 Stones in His Pockets, Connor McGuigan and John Pivovarnik. It's directed by Art Walsh from March 18th through the 27th at the Old Brick Theatre, 126 West Market Street in Scranton, Fridays and Saturdays at 8, Sundays at 2, Facebook, Diva-Theatre, and for reservations, area code 570-209-7766, 209-766, area code 570.